Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Like my wife said, my name is Gino Allison, and I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the first time. And thank you for all coming through what they've called Snowmageddon. Uh, maybe they think we live in Orlando somewhere, but this is not a lot of snow for the Midwest, but apparently uh, it is for some folks. But thank you for coming. Glad you got here safely. And uh, I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. If you've been tracking with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we're in the midst of a 30-day fast. I believe today is like day 19 or something like that. And I know you're all going strong, resolute, disciplined, as half the church like doesn't make eye contact with me as I say that. Uh, some of you have uh, confessed to falling off the wagon, but we've still got a lot of time yet left to press in. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with fasting or uh, indifferent about it, or maybe you've never uh, heard about it in a Christian context, but fasting is just a, simply an opportunity for you to unplug and unhook from things that have just grown too large in your life. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's certain types of food. Maybe it's a certain type of media or something that you spend loads and loads of time on and you've discovered that that thing or those things tend to compete with God for your attention and your affection. And so in these 30 days, we've been intentionally peeling back from those things so that we can lean into more helpful things. Many of these things are spiritual disciplines that add to our life and not just take away and some of you have been finding some measure of success in that. Even if you haven't joined us up until this point, listen, these last 10 days or so, lean into this, press into it. You will be glad that you did. And what you need to understand is that all of this stuff that we talk about, whether it's the spiritual discipline of fasting or prayer or community and all these sorts of things, it's all pressing us toward this understanding that we tend to, as human beings, live very segmented lives. And to illustrate that, I would draw your mind to the image of a grapefruit or an orange cut down the middle. If you open that thing up, you see the segments, right? And for many of us, our lives are like these segments. You've got the work, you know, you, you've got the church, you, you've got the, you know, school, you, and all these different segments. And then you've got the little segment of your life, a few segments of your life that you let God speak into, right? Uh, what we are constantly challenged and drawn toward is a life of full integration of the things of God, right? Uh, well, we're not comfortable anymore. We're not satisfied with letting the Lord speak to just one little slice or let the Lord have freedom in one little slice of our lives. But rather than living the segmented life, I draw your mind's eye to a picture of a glass of chocolate, uh, a glass of white milk, and you drop the chocolate syrup in that milk, and you stir that thing around. There's no, you know, molecule of milk that is not impacted by that chocolate syrup. And that is, is a picture of what Jesus wants to do and be in our life. He doesn't want just a little slice of you. doesn't want a little corner of you. He wants to be fully integrated into the reality of your lives, your finances, your relationships, your sexuality, your vocational life, your life with your spouse, your life with your children, fully integrated into the reality of all those things. That's what we drive at with our preaching and our teaching and community life. And in the spirit of that, at the very beginning of this brand new year, we've been in a series that we've simply been calling Choose Well. Can't think of any better advice to give you, but if somebody who's wanting to get on the right foot, somebody who's wanting to 
get a new start of things. I can't give you any better advice from heaven than to choose well. And what we've been saying week after week is that the quality of our lives, for better or for worse, the quality of the lives of the people who are connected to us are deeply impacted by the choices that we make. And you might have discovered that when you make one bad choice, it's easier to make a second bad choice. And even easier still to make what? A third, fourth, and fifth bad choice. But if in these first few weeks you've uh, taken to making better choices, maybe you decided to take the stairs, or maybe you decided to drink more water, what you probably found if you stick to it more than just a few minutes is that in the same way that it's easier to make bad choices after making bad choices, it becomes easier to make good choices once you've made one good choice. In other words, one good choice begets what? A second or third good choice. But if you've tried choosing well on a consistent basis, what you've found very shortly after is that it is super hard to consistently choose well because, as we've said over the last couple of weeks, choosing well requires discipline. The discipline, the resolve to do the hard helpful things, those things that we aren't naturally inclined to do. What it also takes to consistently choose well is a little thing we call maturity. And one of the distinguishing marks of maturity is we make our decisions based on purpose and not preference, right? Mature people say, who am I and what do I need to do uh, on a daily, minutely, hourly basis in order to fulfill that purpose Uh, immature people say, what do I feel like doing right now? I feel like eating the whole bag of Cheetos, right? I I feel like being stingy with my resources. I feel like giving my wife the, the silent treatment. I feel like thus and so versus who did God create me to be and what steps practically do I need to take in order to walk that out purpose driven and not preference driven. It sounds easy, right? But the problem is we need help. We are not wired to do this on our own. The good news is that God wants to help. And we began this series a couple weeks ago by talking about uh, the importance of choosing community. This local church is one of God's greatest tools to get the work done in our life. And uh, I get the small group reports each and every week from the small group leaders. And it's been so encouraging to see new people plugging into these groups. We've got a women's book group. We got some sisters meeting at Panera in the morning. We got a men's Bible. We had our first uh, men's Bible study this week with me and Al are leading the men's Bible. It's such rich times where people are connecting with other people, going deeper. Christian community is one of God's tools, but it's also a choice, right? Last week we talked about the importance of choosing rest, healthy rhythms where we pause, where we have margin or space in our life to reassess who we are, and what we're doing. This third week of the series, I want to continue this series by talking about a really important subject, uh, the subject of generosity, because generosity is a choice, right? Uh, To be generous simply means to show a readiness to give more of something, think time, think money, think something that's valuable, more of something than is strictly necessary or Expected. I read that again. To be generous is showing a readiness. You're, you're ready to give more of something that is strictly necessary or expected. A few questions for you this morning. Are you generous? Don't answer out loud. Think about it to yourself. Are you generous? 
And that might be too hard a question to start off with. Do you know any generous people? Right? Hopefully, if you're fortunate, you know at least one. Um, but I'll say something about generous people. They're, they're some of my favorite people. They're some of my favorite people. And I, I don't just say that because generous people tend to give you stuff. And if you're a really generous person, you give good stuff. You give the best of your time. You give the best of your resource. I like generous people because generosity is just one of those resident qualities that infects the whole of your life. In other words, you don't often meet mean, generous people, right? You don't often meet backbiting, generous people. Listen, you probably know one, and don't, 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 don't go debunking the whole principle because you, you have an anomaly in your life, but generally speaking, right, generosity is one of those resident qualities that hangs out among, in a person, other good qualities. And I love generous people because they are generally some of the best people to be around. Generous people are the type of people you want in the trenches of life with you. Again, not because they can give you stuff, and that's really helpful, especially during hard times, but generous people, they're, they're, they're optimistic. They see the, 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 the glass of life as, as half full and not empty. They generally speak life. They generally have a worldview that has been infected by this reality that their life and their stuff is simply not their own and that life is better when you share. Do you know any generous people? And so we move this idea of generosity toward the realm of faith and we say that generosity is a big deal to God. It's a really big deal to God. For reasons that I mentioned before, because it's one of those deep character traits that is generally one of the sure signs of maturity, of good character in the life of a Christian. It's one of the sure signs of what we call a thoroughly converted Christian mind. Um, it's really a big deal to God. And so I want to spend some time talking about generosity because generosity just doesn't overtake you. You don't stumble into generosity. Usually a series of choices, a series of patterns of life. Generally speaking, like many of the virtues, you have to be discipled toward generosity, instructed toward generosity, schooled in the fine art of generosity. And since we're talking about this today because it's such an important subject, I want to just make, uh, present two basic assumptions, things that I don't have time to really unpack but things that are just sort of framework, things that I just, basic assumptions concerning generosity for the purpose of just sort of laying the groundwork for our conversation about generosity, particularly as it relates to faith. The first basic assumption is that God sees how much you give. God sees how much you give. In other words, God's not too busy with the affairs of the world that you can be slick and get by without being generous to him and to others. God sees how much you, much you give. The second basic assumption is that God not only sees, uh, but he cares how much you give. He cares how generous you are. To put it a different way, it matters to him how much of your stuff and resource that you sow toward him and toward other people. It really matters to him, and it's a big indication of character 
Christian maturity, and whether or not you have, as God sees it, a thoroughly converted Christian mind. It's also important because generosity is particularly relative, isn't it? You got somebody with millions of dollars, they can give a thousand dollars, which seems like a lot to somebody, but relative to what they have, it's really not that much. Uh, Famed commentary writer Warren Wiersbe says this, men see what is given, but God sees what's left. And men see what is given, but what? God sees what's left. In other words, there's two sides of this coin of generosity. There's portion, how much you give, right? And there's proportion, how much you give relative to how much you had to start with, okay? And so since generosity is relative, there's not some one-off thing that we all, okay, God said everybody should give this amount to people, everybody should give this amount to God, but God is interested in the reality of our resources, how we steward them, particularly how we dispense those outward, because it matters to him how generous we are. It matters to him how much we give. And I want to dig into this today because generosity, like many other virtues, is tied to purpose, right? I believe that our uh, generosity should fund our purpose. And what's our purpose? Our purpose is to simply love, if you just want to boil it down, to love God, love people, four words, that's what you here to do. So everything you should do as a believer should be in, you know, working toward that, that purpose, to love God, to love people. And you can't love God and you can't love people right without showing it. And you can't show it in a way that's meaningful without parting with the things, you know, that are are valuable to you, namely your time, your talent, and in particular, your treasure. This is a big deal to God. And so I'm continuing this series this morning with a message I'm simply calling Choose Generosity. It's a choice, so choose generosity. Uh, Before I get into this, let me just say that I understand that this particular uh, subject, especially in the context of a Christian church, can be and often is a sensitive subject. Um, It's true that as a pastor, people will invite you into just some of the darkest corners of their life, tell you their deepest secrets, but it's often the case that the realm of finances is usually one of the last places that we let other people in. It's also true that over the course of history, many pastors and churches have taken advantage of people and used this principle of giving to, uh, to, to, to misappropriate funds, to use guilt and manipulation, to bullying tactics to get money uh, out of people so that the preacher can live large. Listen, this is not that kind of place. But I'm sensitive to the fact that many of you might have had bad experiences with churches and money. I'm sensitive to that. And I've even taken to apologizing on behalf of my co-workers uh, for really making this more complicated than it has to be. And so if you've been harmed by a church, if you've been taken advantage of, you watched some preacher live large on your dime that you gave toward the kingdom and ministry, listen, that's not how it's supposed to be. And on behalf of, uh, on, the, uh, on behalf of the church, I extend you a sincere apology. But this is one of those, like, 
issues that we got we to gotta do business with, right? And so I wouldn't be doing my job if I would extract this nutrient-rich subject from the diet of our preaching here on the basis of some bad apples. I can't afford to do that. So we'll proceed with truth and sensitivity, uh, but we will proceed nonetheless. I'm looking at a passage of Scripture this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Would you meet me there this morning in your Bibles if you have them? Uh, there are some Bibles on some of the rows if you want to follow along in a paper Bible if you're old school like me. Uh, also, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one to take home with you, feel free to take that Bible home with you. We'll also be projecting the words on the screens. Um, we'll also uh, don't mind at all if you're engaging with the scriptures on your mobile device or your tablet. Go ahead and do that. Second Corinthians chapter 9. While you find that, let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach your word. Thank you so much uh, uh, for this church and for these people. Father, you uh, set before us life and death. And you whisper to us the answer, choose life. And so, Father, uh, today is just another opportunity to set before us one of the choices that we should make. Uh, and it's a particular realm of life that is difficult and challenging to consistently walk out. And so, Father, I pray that you would put power on these words you've given me to speak. Father, move the preacher out of the way this morning so your truth and life might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Talking about generosity this morning. And we're going to start at verse 6. Paul says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so this is one of the very, very many passages of Scripture that deal with the subject of money and generosity and it's a really interesting passage. I, when I look through my, my, the archives, uh, I, I've never taught on this passage before. And it's a very interesting passage. Interestingly enough, this is one of the passages that people use to, uh, to reduce uh, the impact of, like, giving. Like, people say, listen, I don't have to tithe because Paul says I should give what's on my, you know, whatever's on my heart. I shouldn't be forced to give. And that's all true. But I've been interested in taking a second look at this passage because I really think Paul gets at a really powerful kingdom concept. And I think if you look deeper than the surface of the words in this particular text, you understand that this is bigger than just like God is this sort of vending machine. That if you come up and you're faithful to put some money in there, you can boop, 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 and just whatever you want comes down. Right? And oftentimes my co-workers in the faith have oversimplified generosity, you know, oversimplified giving, and, and made God out to be this sort of b vending machine 
that you just put a little bit in and you get a whole lot out. Um, this generosity is not a simple, uh, it, it's not a complicated concept, but we need not oversimplify it because to get this means to make some radical changes in your life. The goal in even talking about this today is to fully integrate this principle of generosity into your life to help you see from heaven's vantage how putting this um, in motion in your life uh, makes a whole lot of difference. Like I said, this is for the sake of purpose, loving God and others, particularly showing it with our goods and valuables. And in light of this passage, I want to highlight three super important facts about generosity that should be game changers for those of you, particularly those of you who struggle. And so when it comes to generosity, the first thing is, Paul lays out here, is you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. And this isn't just a kingdom principle. Like, this is a life principle, right? The law of reciprocity says, like, much of life is a boomerang. You throw that sucker, right? It's going to come back to you. Life is about reciprocity. Paul says in verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's a simple concept. But the reality of this truth has a major impact on our life. And some of us struggle to make sense of this simple life principle. You struggle to make sense of why you're not walking in the freedom and you're not walking in the blessing and you're not living the good life that is often promised in the pages of Scripture. But what you've missed is that you've missed this whole understanding that our resources, our stuff, are like seeds. Seeds that we sow into the soils around us. We fail to understand that in a simple natural sense that we put seeds into the ground, the fruit of, what, of those seeds that we put in the ground will give a harvest one day. And what Paul is simply saying is if you don't put any seeds in the ground, you're not going to reap a harvest. He's also saying that if you put a few seeds in the ground, you're going to get a tiny harvest. It also goes as far to say, if you put a lot of seeds into the ground, you will reap a great harvest. But let me just take this one level deeper, can I? Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, if you put bad seeds in the ground, you're going to reap a bad harvest. If, if you sow good seeds into good soil, you'll reap a harvest. And so what we reap in life it's tied directly to the seeds that we sow in the ground. Now, I need to clarify because, again, we've, we've oversimplified generosity, especially generosity in a, in a kingdom sense, to say, hey, listen, if I want a car, I better sow an offering. So I want a car, I'm going to sow some money and wait by the, you know, wait by the front door, publishers clearinghouse style. So they drive that sucker up. That's not in the book. That's not how it works. And frankly, you don't get to kind of decide like what you reap, right? 
What we understand, though, is that when we sow seeds into the ground, what grows is goodness from God, the variety that he picks. What he sees fit to give to your life. But you must sow seeds if you want to reap a harvest. And some of you, just only in this moment has the penny dropped that your cupboards are bare, maybe naturally and spiritually, because you have been reluctant, sporadic, totally negligent in the faithful sowing of seed in the soil of the kingdom and in the soils of the lives of others. Just sit with that for a second. Because moments ago, you had to wrestle with this question. Are you a generous person? And I've discovered that the only degree to which we're generous is in our descriptions of ourselves. The only degree to which we're liberal in giving is in couching our shortcomings, couching our failures and successes. But if we were honest and let God put the mirror of the book in front of us today, many of us, if not most of us, would say, I'm not generous. And the longer you play keep away with that realization, the slower you'll be to get back to sowing seeds and being faithful and sowing seeds of goodness into the soil of the kingdom the soil of other people's lives. You will reap what you sow, fact number one. But the second fact is equally important about generosity, and that is generosity is cheerful. Generosity is cheerful. If somebody ever given you something, but you can tell that they wanted you to know <laughs> that they didn't want you to have it. Right? You grow up with siblings, right? <laughs> siblings. And you say, hey, can I get a noun later? No. And my mom, you know, here's it. Get that boy a noun later. Here. <laughs> Throw it. Mom comes and go pick that up. Give it back to him. Here. Store him away. Now, you may not be handing out noun laters, right? <laughs> but you've ever been given something and you could tell that the person didn't want you to have it, they were grumpy about it? It might have met the need. It might have been, you know, a welcome gift. But that's not generosity. Because Paul has something to say. It's important to frame this for us. Because I think in order to reap those harvests of goodness after sowing seeds, Paul tells us what the condition of our heart and our life must be in order for those seeds to count as generosity. And therefore, give way to a good harvest, the kind of harvest that we want. Paul says, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. In other words, think about it. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, let me just go on the record. SSV, we take grumpy gifts. We take, you know, you can be as mad as you want. We're going to cash that check, okay? <laughs> Got bills. But we're not talking about me today, 
We're not talking about SMB. We're talking about the kingdom, right? We're talking about God. Um, and, I, and I said this earlier that this particular verse has been a, an argument against really generous, principled, systematic giving. They said, listen, don't talk to me about a tithe preacher because Paul says, you don't know any scripture in the Bible, you know this one. They say, listen, Paul says that each of us should give what we have decided in our hearts. It shouldn't be reluctant or hesitant. It shouldn't be under compulsion or it shouldn't be being forced it shouldn't be a gift against one's will. Uh, but this, again, that framing, in my opinion, is an oversimplification of this. Paul is simply saying, in order for generosity to count, you've got to want to do it. And that doesn't mean that, particularly if you're in a season of life where you've got more month than money, <coughs> there's not that microsecond or maybe hour-long deliberation about like, maybe I can pay, you know, my tithes, or maybe I can give an offering later. I'll just add a little more to it, right? This, that doesn't mean you don't have to wrestle with sometimes whether or not to be generous. In light of what you have in front of you, it just simply means that it's a willful act of generosity. What it also means is some slick preacher shouldn't get up and, and coax you into giving. And use manipulation. I've been in so, man, listen, I don't even have time to even talk about it. Well, some slick prophet comes to town and he, all of a sudden he's got a word, but this, if you got $500, get down here, I got a word for you. And so people come down $500 and they get this lavish word. The heavens are rent. You know, the glory comes down for the 500 and he just sort of works his way down. He's got a hundred come down, and the words are less awesome, right? By the time to get about $10, $10 and under, come over, just go over there in the corner, and just maybe a few seconds of words. So there was, a, there was a difference, right? Or you go to a service where the offertory is an hour long. They go in the back and count it and come back and say, hey, we need a little more. <laughs> Some of you have been in churches like that. Let me go on record and say, I don't think that's how it's supposed to be. I don't think heaven has a degree of prophecy for those who have means that is on a sliding, declining scale for those who don't. I don't think it works like that. In fact, my Bible shows me that God leans toward the poor. Like if any of these people will get a more, you know, lavish word, it's going to be this group, right? And so you're not to be forced to give, manipulated into giving, and we run from that here. Paul puts the cherry on the top at the end of this sentence. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. This is how generosity counts. Deep understanding, a gladness to sow what God has given back into the soil of the kingdom, and back into the lives of other people. The fruit of that, Paul talks about in verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having, get this, all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul says if you can manage to give generously, systematically, lavishly, without reluctance, 
and not under pressure or compulsion. And you can imagine, you can manage to give it with a smile on your face. The windows of heaven will be open unto you. And this isn't some preacher trick. This isn't some manipulative ploy to get you to give more. This is in the book. This is how the law of reciprocity works. And Paul says in here, having all that you need, now this is indelibly tied to generosity, having your needs met, I didn't say your wants, but Paul says you will abound in every good work. And I think that just sort of means that there will just be a cycle to blessing and sowing and generosity, sowing and blessing and generosity, sowing and blessing to generosity, such that life will go well for you. I didn't say perfectly. But I'm talking about the functionality that sprouts out of the ground, the health emotionally, the health relationally, the health spiritually that is the fruit of good, faithful seeds of generosity sowed into good soil on a consistent basis. Paul says, in every, you will abound in every good work. All things and at all times, Paul says, you will have what you need. For those of us who demonstrate a trust in God as the good shepherd, we have understood that he is faithful to supply every need. It is that simple. Psalm, excuse me, Psalmist says in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. You say, preacher, the Lord's my shepherd. There's a long list of stuff that I don't have. And what I say often, and I say it with all compassion and all affection, if you don't have it, guess what? If you don't have it, you don't need it. Because it's true that even the things that you would feel would sustain your natural life on earth, I remind you of eternity. I remind you of this kingdom reality that there's more to life than what lies between the bookends of our natural uh, uh, birth and our natural death. You say, Pastor, I need, I need a cure for this cancer in my body. I need a kidney or I'm not going to make it. I need X. I need Y. If you don't have it, and you're in the flock of the good shepherd. It's either on the way or you, or you don't need it. You simply don't need it. And some of you find this hard to take in because you haven't walked with the Lord on a consistent basis. Some of you say giving doesn't work, and you've only tried it that one summer back in 83 for a week. This is the sort of thing that you've got to walk with God to know. You've got to consistently be a sower. You consistently lean the full weight of your life on God and others in order to see. And, and you're looking at this old bald head, sweaty preacher. You're looking at somebody who's, who's walked this out. I've seen the faithfulness of God, of God as a little boy when, when, when we didn't have two nickels to rub together, heating the house with the stove, went to the pipes with freeze. You had to boil these big buckets, you know, thing, pots of water to bathe and to cook. Like, this is like every winter. And you just imagine all the things that would break down. But you, but you know what? My parents were givers. 
I had the type of daddy that we all, I mean, we, we didn't have kids' church growing up at our church. We all said it was seven of us. We took up a whole row. And when it was offering time, my dad would get his, and he had a bunch of singles in his pocket, and he'd hand it down, hand, hand, hand it down. Don't play with that. Hand that down. And we'd all have a single. And what he was doing, he was discipling us in generosity, discipling us. And, and the fruit of that was that somebody would always bring something by the house. Those pipes would freeze. Brother Jerry, one of the guys from the church, he, he'd bring these five gallons. You ever see these big five? He'd bring four or five of those every day so we can boil that water and bathe and stuff like that. People would bring by money. And I, my dad would, you know, it was tight when he was, two things. There was a jar of soap pieces and there was a jar of coins. If my daddy was ever dipping into any one of those jars, things had gotten tight. But I watched the Lord provide time after time, time after time, my whole life. And so I have resident within me this understanding, this deep sense that it's going to be all right. Now, interestingly enough, my wife didn't come up that way. And so we, we have some clashes when, you know, when she said, hey, it's tight or things are, I said, listen, are we heating the house with the stove? <laughs> Anything north of that, we're living like kings. <laughs> no, no, I'm not being insensitive to how somebody's upbringing because it's all relative, right? But I'm saying you're looking at a person who's walked this out, and so it's easy for me to be generous because all my life, you talk about daily bread, right? And a recent example of this is just this church and God's faithfulness to this church. It's, 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 it's crazy how the Lord has provided. So in 2017, this church took in, and just the general uh, tithes and offerings, we took in a little over $180,000, right? And that's what was more than enough for us to run our operation, pay our staff, and have significant ex excess income, uh, you know, just because we're just... We have some really good people who help us, you know, be good stewards of the money. But something happened at the end of 2017. This building became available, right? And in order to make this happen, we needed giving to stay almost the same, plus we needed another $200,000 on top of that. Now, there's not a whole lot of rich people. I mean, it's not... Like, we're just a congregation, just regular people, unless you're holding out, right? <laughs> so what we needed was forgiving to say the same. We certainly didn't need it to dip. Uh, and we needed at least $200,000 in order to put the down payment, get a new roof on this place. And so why don't you put up the next slide? So this is what 2018 looked like. That first number is general offerings and tithe, just off by a few dollars. But from the same group of people who are already giving generously, that second number is what was given in 2018 yes. in addition to, so we brought in $400,000. Now, either somebody hit the lottery, right? Or God responded on the basis of our need. 
And that response is no doubt due, one, we serve a generous God. But this church faithfully sows into the kingdom, faithfully sows into the life of others. My friends at the High Park Vineyard a couple years ago, they had this sudden building opportunity come up, and we heard about it, got the board together, said, hey, we got to give some money to that. I think we're next. Selfishly, I think we're next. But we got to sow a seed into some good soil, right? I think we gave $2,000 to that church. In our giving campaign in 2018, we got something like $24,000 from other churches. Two churches wrote us checks for $10,000. Two churches. And so for those of us who are generous, cheerful, not reluctant, not forced, God will meet the need. And the only way you know this is if you try this. The only way you know this, friends, is if you try this. God loves a cheerful giver, and generosity is by nature cheerful. That's the second fact. Third and final fact is this. The seed comes from God to begin with. Now, this is only the third point because I'm trying to faithfully walk through the text. It should be the first point. It should be the guiding sort of principle about sowing and reaping. This faithful understanding that it's all his anyway. Now, here's the deal. If I, li- if, I give you, if I give you some money to hold for me, and I come a few days later and say, hey, let me get a little bit of that uh, back, and you go like this, it's an indication you didn't understand our arrangement, see? And you might have to catch these hands because <laughs> that's not yours. <laughs> oh, I just joking. Right? It's not yours. You're holding it for me. And in the same way, like, all your stuff is not your stuff. It's been loaned to you. Your job has been loaned to you to steward. Those kids, that wife, that job, that career, that singing voice, that musical talent, that business acumen, it's been loaned to you so that you might fulfill your purpose. But don't think it's sweet. It's, it's, it's God's. You're just holding it. And should he come knocking and ask for some of it back, even on a consistent basis, the only indication that you understand how this works is that you freely give it back to him. You freely sow seeds. And if you're smart, you understand that we serve a big old God, with an abundant resource. And this, this little seed, God is good at multiplying. His mass isn't that good. You put a little seed, he give you a lot of something back, Right? The seed comes from God. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. What's Paul saying? If you can remember that it comes from God, you can be cheerful, dare I say giddy, about the opportunity to sow it back. 
Not only because you have this understanding that it's not yours in the first place, but you know how generous God is. You know how he works. And our finite, fragile, immature thinking, we, we view our resources and view our life with God from a scarcity mindset. There's only so much. If I give, then I lose. If someone else wins, then I lose. If I pour out, then I'm out of I'm out, I'm out that, and I just can't, right? And if you're fuzzy on the origin of the seed, you'll have problems. And it will make sense to you to be stingy. You'll call that virtuous. You, you'll call it being frugal. You'll call it being wise. You'll call it being thoughtful of a potential rainy day. But if you're fuzzy at all on where the seed comes from and the nature of the seed giver, then it follows that you'll be reluctant. It follows that if you are forced to give or pressed to give that you'll be grumpy about. It, it follows. You should be if you don't serve a God that can give it to you back. Therein lies the need for us to be anchored in the truth about who God is, a generous God who loans us resources for our purpose. And part of that purpose is to sow it back into kingdom purposes and into the lives of other people. The seed comes from God. Now, real quick, let me get super practical because some of us are struggling with this and we don't know why. So I want to list for you some reasons why we fail at being generous, and you may or may not be aware of it. Some of you are just ignorant about it, and hopefully you won't be able to make that claim after today. You didn't know that this mattered to God. You had no models. And I said earlier, you have to be discipled in generosity. And some of us, frankly, have never been uh, discipled in this. And so we're simply ignorant. Others of us are indifferent. You don't care that God sees it. This is a sort of prideful arrogance that this is my stuff. And the last thing you want God to do is show you whose stuff it is. You're indifferent. You might even be bothered right now that I'm even talking about this. You might be annoyed. But let me tell you, I'm past the point of being intimidated by somebody. Because if you put this to practice in your life, you will thank me. You will thank me for unlocking the reality of this principle. I, yes, I'm sensitive to you being annoyed, but listen, I'm doing my job up here. But there's this indifference. You're convinced that it doesn't take all of that. Others of you fail here because you're overextended. You simply live beyond your means. You live beyond your means over and over, and you're just overextended. There's no margin like we talked about. There's no margin to be generous because everything comes in and it goes out. And I'm sure many of us will comb the, the detailed list of our expenses. There are plenty of things that don't rise to the importance of sowing seed back to the seed, seed giver. And many of you, if you viewed your life in light of the kingdom and, and your obligation to be generous, 
There are tons of things, line items, that could be cut within a moment's notice. Non-essential things that have just competed for that number one spot in your life. Some of us are overextended. And I put it this way last year, that if you got to the, you looked at your expenses and you realized that you didn't have money left over for groceries or some of the basic necessities of your life, what, what would you do? You, you would go back and see what things are cuttable, what things you could and perhaps should do without. But we don't do that way. We don't do that, do we? When we find that we haven't been generous to God, we, we find more things. And should you get a windfall of money, you find something else. We are by nature overextended, and it's robbing us of this opportunity to be generous. Others of us fail because we're careless. We've got no guiding principles related to generosity and giving, no standard to live by, no plan, and like I said before, no margin. You've got no room. You haven't built in space. And I told you earlier, the, the mature person is purpose-driven, and their money is purpose-driven. And so they decide how they spend their resources on the basis of who God made them, not on the basis of what flashes in front of their face at, mo- at the moment. And so some of you got a TV in every room. Not because you planned it that way, just because you went into Walmart. And if they'd have had a parrot right there, you'd have bought a parrot. It was just something shiny in front of you. Listen, this is, I got to have this thing. Careless. And the fruit of carelessness is that you're governed by your impulses. You're governed by situations. You're governed by the moment. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Real quick. Ways to succeed in generosity. I told you why we fail, but here's some ways to succeed. Seek understanding. Seek understanding. Listen, my kids are on YouTube trying to figure out these Rubik's Cubes. Right? They're always telling me I can't find something. I don't know how. But like when you put something in front of them that matters, like they'll go find how to figure it out. And we've got the Internet. You got more books and podcasts. Listen, if you're if you if you're behind in this area, I don't mean this dismissively. Figure it out because it's important. Seek understanding, and I could say more about that, but I don't feel like I need to. Second thing is to be careful with your resources. I told you that we fail because of carelessness. But to be careful means we have a plan. We are tying the usage of our resources to goals that are related to our purpose. We want to get out of debt. No more flat screen TVs. You want to get out of debt? Go to Walmart. Get the flip phone. Smart, you know, the straight talk plan. Because you got got a goal, your purpose. Be careful. Be deliberate. Third thing is, Be intentional. Make a plan. Prioritize generosity to God. Budget for giving. It's a line item. And what we've been saying the last couple years is that giving should be systematic. It should be systematic. 
For many of us, if we don't budget for giving, if we don't plan for it, some of us, many people in here have reoccurring giving online because they don't trust themselves. Just comes out. They've calculated what a tithe is or whatever their systematic gift is, and they say, you know what, to my, if, even if it's tight, this is what we give. There's been a lot of belt tightening at the Allison home, and we've been fussing about it all week. We made a commitment to God. This building fund has more than doubled our giving, and some things had to go, and they went this week, and I wasn't happy about it. I don't get into the details of it because it's none of your business, but I'm just saying <laughs> our purpose and the goals that we believe God has set in front of us made those decisions for us. And some of you have promised every year this time you promise we're going to be systematic. We're going to give God what he's owed. We're going to have a plan for giving to others. And it falls apart. Why? Because you don't put a plan in motion. And so we believe, without getting into it, that the tithe is just a starting point. 10%, that's just a starting point. That's not some hard and fast rule where you're going to be kicked out of the church and going to be seated on the back row if you don't get, listen, you give what, give what you want. Paul just told you, make up in your heart. And don't give because somebody is forcing you. But it has to be systematic and purposeful. And if you have an issue with the tithe, if you think that's uh, not biblically sound, uh, my question to you is, what then does generosity look like for you? And because I'm out of time, I'm going to say, it's probably not nothing. Right? Generosity ought to put you out a little bit. Real generosity means you say no to something so that you might say yes to generosity. If your generosity, you don't feel the pinch of generosity, I don't think it's generosity. Be intentional. And worship team, you can come up. Why? Because Paul says, you reap what you sow. Generosity is cheerful. And that cheerfulness flows from what? An understanding that what? God is the giver. Seed. He's a generous God, faithful to meet the needs of those who will faithfully live the generous life. My time's up. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Father, I know that this has gripped some of us. It's shaken some of us. It's convicted some of us. It's causing us to rethink some things and rework some things. Good. That's its intended purpose. Father, I pray that that wouldn't just be a fleeting emotional response to this, but rather uh, you would do the deep work of transforming the way we think as it relates to our resources and generosity. Father, would you do the heavy lifting in our hearts? We give not as a matter of being forced to or guilted into it, but because we understand that it's all yours anyway. And that it's you who, as Paul says, give seeds to the sower. And where we've erred in this, where we've been stingy, where we've been selfish, whether we've not been purpose-driven, we've been given to our preferences, Father, would you forgive us? And may today be a fresh start as we enter the doorway of the generous life. Would you make it so? In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.